is episode 67 of Fadeless, a podcast devoted to the supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. My name, as always, is Dave, and I'm joined by Wayne. How you doing? Hey, Dave, and my name, as always, is Wayne. Yeah, all right. Still? So. I just checked with my mom, actually, and, and she confirmed it was still still my name, so we're good. Yeah, all right. Well, you check that birth certificate. Uh, it could be a clone of you somewhere. All right. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about episode four of Birds of Prey tonight, Three Birds and a Baby. Uh, and, uh, you know, before we get to that, I guess fall season is winding down. Uh, you know, the shows we love, I guess Arrow's got about one more episode. S.H.I.E.L.D. can't have more than about one. I think S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and Arrow, this is their season finales. This. Yeah, and I'm trying it's to good. think. Any th- uh, there's Oh, The 100 is still going. Yeah. And, Do you know uh, how many episodes that, that they're going? I think they're going 13. So 13. They, they, yeah, th- so they got a ways to go, right? Because they're only Not about... Not too on much. Five, well, they're only on about five or six, yeah. aren't they? That's, that's like halfway. Oh, good point. Yeah, <laughs> math skills. All right. Yeah, see? But but yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's accurate to call it the fall season. We should maybe call it the 2013-2014 season. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's... You know, I'm always starting to feel like a sense of relief. <laughs> Well, I know what you mean, and and there's a lot of good shows that are in the pipeline. I mean, I don't think that there. I'm not sure if there's anything new coming up this summer, but obviously shows like Defiance will be back. Falling Skies, yeah, Falling Skies, yeah, that's that's a good one. And but the well, Under the Dome, I, I don't I don't think I'm going back to Under the Dome. Yeah, I, yeah, well, you know, obviously I I gave it the boot, but yeah, you well, that was a good decision, probably. But it's summer, you know, you're, it's summer. You're like, ah, what the hell? There's nothing else on, and then. Well, maybe I'll continue. I got four episodes into Star Trek: Next Generation, and and I'm still not, I'm still not hooked. But I, I may give it a few more. Uh, I, I I do want to give Babylon Five a try, and and I looked at the pilot for Deep Space Nine. So you know, I want to give those a shot, but I'm just afraid they just don't hold up. You know, in in terms of production, in terms of acting, uh, you know, I, I don't know. In the interim, there's been so much good sci-fi out there that. Well, I know you don't believe me, but Next Generation was really good. Uh, Deep Space Nine was really good. I, I like. I, I end up. I watched Deep Space Nine for maybe like three seasons, like this first three seasons. That was a really good show. I like that show a lot. Okay, well, I'm going to keep going. So, uh, so um, all right. Well, listen, uh, we did get a piece of listener feedback this week, and it is from Davia Archibald, who's a frequent contributor to the Continuum podcast. And oh, welcome to the dark side, Davia. Yeah, yeah. So she's responding to one of the take fives, specifically the one about dead is dead, or rather, when is dead dead? And she says, generally, I'm willing to accept the rules of death that follow from the show's universe. Continuum. Travis survived after season one, given that he had future technology implants. He then survived into season three because of the time travel. Chen was revived using futuristic technology, and we didn't see him alive until a season and a half after he died. These are consistent with the rules of the universe. And and she, I mean, I agree. She's correct. It's just that I just think even in that case, when you do it too many times, it just loses its impact. No, no question about it. Yeah, like especially if a show goes, like I mean, I admire Lost a lot, but CPR does not work that much. Good point. 
They had a 100% success rate with CPR on that island. Yes, yes. Now, she goes on and, and says about Lost Girl, when you said Dyson died, I wondered what you meant, and I then remembered the season finale. I never thought he was dead, as I figured he turned into a wolf to avoid injury from the crash, all consistent with the Fey world. Now, I agree, but the, I was really referring to, I believe it's episode 309, when Bo's going through the dawning. And right, right, and they go into that kind of that alternate world, and yes. Dyson goes with her, and Dyson basically has to die for her to survive. Right, right, and then she comes back and and you know does her chi thing to basically resurrect him, and yeah. you know at at the time I remember there was a huge uproar amongst a lot of the fandom of Lost Girl that ah here you know Dyson again having to come to the rescue, you know the the White Knight and all of that. Well, there was just the 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 D haters who uh, saw their 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 big moment they thought was upon them. Right, you know, but and, you know, I guess my perspective from the take five was that uh, again, it's it's directed towards the writers, and again, you just can't do it too many times. Now, she ends up saying the one show you mentioned that I watched and gave up on was Supernatural. Ouch! I started watching this show in the second or third season when. Castiel rescued Dean from hell. I then went back and watched from the beginning. There was just something about the scene that drew me in. This is my fantasized version as I haven't seen it in a while. The shadow of Castiel in angel form tells Dean that God had ordered him, Castiel, to rescue Dean from perdition. Since then, all the characters have been to hell and heaven multiple times and nothing has any consequence. I stopped watching this early this season. Oh, really? Oh, this season's been so awesome, though. Oh, this is a bad bad year to stop well but uh, i could see last season if you gave up on it but this year oh man regardless i you know i, I think it's something you know i obviously i made my feelings clear in the take five that i, I just think it gets overused and, and you have to really tread carefully or or you just kind of i think you abuse your viewership but rules is rules well so. you know and i think i don't know if i've mentioned i think i mentioned before in the show but there's actually a, a, a episode of Supernatural where um, Dean dies like like a hundred times or something, uh -huh. and that's the thing. Like it's it's like a Groundhog Day type thing, and and just every single day he ends up dying at the end of it, and the next morning starts over, and you know, and everything and everything. And it was it was great because it's totally playing off of that whole, um, you know, that that whole. Of of people criticizing the show, but saying you you know you kill these characters off and they come back and like what the hell you know and everything. So, I mean, they're not going to kill Sam or Dean. Like, give me a break. You well, know? no, I understand. I understand. But uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, I think they've. Uh, I'm trying to think whether they've really kind of dialed back on that a little bit. I mean, Sam was not. Yeah, Sam had had to have an angel like live inside of him for a while this season in order to because he was. Almost dead. He was mostly dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do that many seasons, you you run out of storylines. So, yeah. No, uh, so. no. There's still. I mean, this season's been good. I think this season they've kind of gone back to classic supernatural, like season one type. You know, find a find a ghost and go get it type thing. So. Oh, oh, which which reminds me, actually, I, I know you don't want me to ramble on about Supernatural much more, but I'd be remiss to say that, remember we talked about how they were going to introduce a new series? Yeah. That was last week they did it, and it was pretty cool. A, it's Chicago, 
And there's like four families of supernatural beings that run Chicago. Oh, okay. And so Sam and Dean uh, end up chasing down a like a shapeshifter. Like one of the families are like shapeshifters. Another are werewolves. Another is like gin, I think. I can't remember what the fourth family was. Vampires? Vampires, I think, maybe. And so it's like kind of like organized crime families, except they're all supernatural. And there's this uh, Chicago, is he, is he, he's a police officer, and he kind of gets caught up in the middle of it uh, early on. And so the, basically the episode is about Sam and Dean helping this guy and also one of the shapeshifters who's kind of like this He's a very Michael Corleone type character. He's he's he didn't want to get involved in the family business. He was away at college, uh, but his brother gets killed, so he has to come back to town and he gets involved in everything. But he's very sympathetic type character. All right, you're gonna keep watching it. Uh, well, the next season, I probably yeah yeah okay. you know, it's so. uh, you know the, the characters were, were pretty cool and um, they're all. You know, typical pretty CW characters, you know, like all the, they're all good looking young people and everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a pretty interesting uh, concept for a story. And, you know, I like the supernatural tie. And so, you know, I'll give it a shot. All right. Well, speaking of good looking young people, although she's, I guess, now in her 30s, uh, Ashley Scott, who plays Helena, is slated to be a series regular in a 2014 Lifetime series called oh, Un- God. Unreal. I was with you up until the, ah, the dreaded on, word. Come on, uh, Now, the premise follows a young staff member on a popular competition reality dating show whose sole job is to manip- manipulate her relationships with the contestants in order to get the vital, outrageous footage for the show's demanding executive producer. So, clearly not a genre show, but, um, you know, I'm, I really like Ashley Scott. I really like all three women in this show. We'll talk a little yeah. bit about it once we get into the discussion, but... Um, so anyway, you know, that, that's what she's got going on. Obviously we know what Rachel Scarston has going on, uh, at this point. And, you know, in, in terms of, uh, uh, Barbara Gordon, don't see much she's doing right now. She's doing a lot of guest spots. Yeah, Dina Meyer, that is. Dina Meyer, right. Yeah. Right. Well, so just uh, while we're, we're chatting here, I feel I got some other stuff I can bring up because I have this theory is that Game of Thrones will be like the new Kevin Bacon portal. Okay. Yeah. You know? Like it, when you're playing the Kevin Bacon game, you'll be able to access almost anyone through Game of Thrones, I think, eventually. Okay. So two ways to believe it. Now, you must have recognized one of our favorite guest stars on Game of Thrones in recent episodes. Yes? Summer Glau? No, not Summer Glau. <laughs> Summer Glau's not on Game of Thrones. Okay. Bad uh, Night's Watch guys. The guys who took over Craster's Keep. Oh, exactly. From uh, Torchwood. Torchwood. Burn yeah, Gorman, right. Yeah, I couldn't and, think from, of his name, the actor. From, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, who played Owen and Torchwood. Or, and he's also in Turn as well. Okay. Are, are you up to date on uh, Game of Thrones? Of course I am. Okay, so then you know that he got a sword through the yes, skull. Yes, through the skull. Wow. Nice. <laughs> it was like, what? <laughs> they just, they're like, okay, we, we've. Killed people a lot of really shocking ways. Well, no one's had a sword shoved straight through his skull and out of his mouth. Yeah, oh, saw, yeah. Well, we saw somebody drinking from a skull last week, so. Yeah, well, he, he it was him. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so, anyway, uh, so. Well, hold on. I got, I got one more. Okay. I got one more. Because also, now, you, you might have noticed the guest star on the recent Orphan Black. Okay. The guy played Cal. 
Yeah, where do we know him from? From um, Game of Thrones. Yeah, but who does he play? He's Dario Naharis. Okay, now here, there's a little controversy here. Okay. Now remember in season two, three, uh, Daenerys Targaryen uh, goes to liberate the slaves of one town, and the really good-looking guy, mercenary, uh, goes to help her out and right. sneaks everyone in. Okay, that's Dario Naharis, right? Last season. Now this season, all of a sudden, Dario Naharis looks totally different. He's got curlier hair. He's got a beard. He's not as you know brawny. So basically, the other guy got a new gig, and so they just replaced him with another actor. Oh, okay. And so, and so, but the who it is is the guy who played uh, Cal, uh, Kira's father, right? In the the most recent episode, Orphan Black. Oh, okay. Still with beard and everything, obviously, because he can't shave that. Because I guess he's still doing Game of Thrones. Yeah, well, they can do the fake beard. So, as Michael Huisman is the name of the the actor there, and uh, he's actually uh, a, a a a Dutchman. Oh, okay. So, and actually, Bern Gorman, born in L.A. All right, whoever that is. That that the guy played Owen on Torchwood. Oh, okay. He was born in America. Oh, not crazy. All right. All right. Well, listen. Why don't you give us a little bit of Project X tonight? And I know you're you're going to get away from the character aspect and get us a little science. Yep, we're dropping the science like ah, oh, Beastie Boys had a line. I can't remember. <laughs> it was a really good line, but I forgot. All right. Anyway, so today we are going to talk about progeria, which uh, you know might more popularly be known as premature aging. Um, it is a genetic disorder that strikes approximately one in eight million live births, so it is very rare. Um, it is actually called Hutchinson-Guilford progeria syndrome, or HGPS, and it uh, usually becomes starts to become apparent uh, around eighteen to twenty-four months. And of course, you know you have it all the time. But that's when you really start to notice it. Um, and, you know, symptoms include, you know, what you'd expect. It's like these kids who, you know, have, you know, like arthrosclerosis, um, they get wrinkled, brittle bones, uh, limited growth, kidney failure, all the things that are germane to aging itself. And, and very old people, uh, you know, hits these kids before they're 10. You know, so it's really, um, you know, I mean, obviously just a very, you know, very, very tragic, very sad disease, and it must be very, you know, obviously very difficult for both the uh, the child and and the, and the family, uh, because there's there's no really treatment for it at all. You know, they can't cure it. They uh, they've tried some drugs that can help a little bit and make them a little bit stronger and everything, but it's it's like you know, it's almost like when a person's very old and dying, you can you know maybe ease their suffering a little bit, but there's still you know there's nothing you can do. Right, when you're dying, you're dying. You know, most uh, people who uh, are born with progeria um, don't live past. Few live past the age of thirteen. You know, they're, wow. they're, they're, yeah. So it's a really tough. So you know what we saw in um, in Birds of Prey this week was not obviously progeria, but it's there's there's no disease where you live your whole life in three days um, and you die an old man. Uh, you know, about seventy-two hours after you were born, but um, but you know that kind of made me think of that and everything to see if that was you know because there I, I knew there was a an actual thing like that, right? Because that is the stuff of sci-fi. 
Yes. Though I was thinking there were, you know, there was that episode of Fringe, right? You remember like season one of Fringe? I, I meant to look this up to see what the name of the episode was, where the uh, the lady comes in, like she's in a hotel room, and the guy like injects her with something, and she all of a sudden notices she's pregnant, and they take her into the hospital, and the oh, baby's born. Yes, yes, and then it ends it's up like, being an old man. Yeah, yeah. Like minutes after he's born, dies an old man yeah i do remember oh man that was creepy yeah it was like the second or third episode of season one of fringe um so yeah that kind of reminded me of that as well oh all right that was really creepy wasn't it oh, it was i'm a little so. creeped out again just thinking about it all right so we're going to talk about episode four three birds and a baby and it aired october 30th 2002 the day before halloween i guess i was a little surprised they didn't do a halloween episode but yeah uh, you never know if they even knew when the actual air dates of these shows would be les claypool and primus released a greatest hits album in the last couple years and it was titled they can't all be zingers and while i enjoyed <laughs> this episode uh it, I think of the four we've talked about, it's the fourth best at this point. You think? Uh, I, well, I think for the, as far as action goes, like it, it was probably not as much. Um, and as far as like the sentimentality, they might lay it on a little thick in some places. But I kind of liked the whole idea of um, Helena being like a mother. Well, I did too. And you know what really did strike me is, is that how much I really appreciate the fact that you've got a show that it's got three strong women. The fact that she's in a wheelchair, it's like you stop even thinking about it. You know, she is active. She kicks ass. She beats someone's ass in that wheelchair. And and, and she's smart. And, and it's just, again, there aren't that many shows. I mean, even you take lost girl and and you, you, like we were talking earlier, you've got Dyson that, comes to the rescue very often you've got plenty of male characters that play a role but here it's the three women yeah sisters doing it for themselves and then even the the major baddie is a woman yeah and she's off the hook bad yes and you know like you mentioned uh, there was a lot of emotionality that that i really did like and and certainly like you said in fact we've been talking the last couple weeks about how this show you know, on the one hand, it's about the case of the week, and on the other hand, it's about them coping with being superheroes and trying to have a normal life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so so we get the opening scene, and you got the thugs taking the baby away from its mother on the second or third story of an apartment we, building. We assume it's the mother. Yeah, we assume it's the mother, right? Uh, the baby drops, and I, I think we all knew. I, I assumed that Huntress was going to, you know, fly through the air and catch the baby, but. Very few shows start off with someone dropping a baby to the ground. That doesn't happen very often in television. Right. And and what the opening action sequence really reinforced for me is just that this is a fun show. And that, I mean, she's holding the baby in one hand and fighting off the attackers with the other. And, and on the one hand, I'm sure a lot of people would say this is just silly. But again, it harkens back to the, you know, the Batman of the 60s and, and early 70s and you know, even to a certain extent, the Batman movies now, it's just that the production values are much, much better than, than Birds of Prey. And, and of course, it's a lot darker. You know, certainly the, the most recent Batmans have been darker. Yeah, you wouldn't see Christian Bale holding the baby and fighting guys. Uh, you know, no, you like, wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, you know, it was a mixture. Uh, to one point, I'm like, oh, this is 
just crazy. Like, really? Because, like, she's holding the baby, and obviously, no matter how stylized the action, you can't actually fight people while holding a baby. It no. just doesn't work out. Especially a newborn, they're very delicate. You cannot go whipping them around and doing, like, karate kicks and things like that. On the other hand, you think, well, that's kind of clever, you know? Because you you, know, you think what are different ways we have fight scenes to make them interesting and different and compelling and having someone uh, fight off a guy with a baby that can do it a little bit. Yeah, and you know after she disposes of all the attackers, she notices that the mother or whoever she is that was apparently taking care of the baby now is dead with a knife through her chest. Uh, forcing her to take the baby back to their superhero lair, and the three of them have to now figure out what to do. And it, and it doesn't take them long to figure out that the baby's been genetically engineered. And- right. So uh, here's here, I had a, a slight problem with this because you know, really, their first uh, you know move should have been like to social services, probably. You know, and not like hey. Let's take this baby home. And you know, like Barbara says, oh, you did the right thing. I'm like, the right thing? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> take take the kid to social services, man. Like, what are you kidding me doing the right thing? Yeah, like, good point. Good point. Well, you know you know what? I, I, I said that it doesn't take them long. It actually does take them certainly longer than it does for the audience because we learned that, that the baby's been genetically engineered at the behest of Dr. Q and that <clears> – <throat> The scientist's assistant was behind the kidnapping, but now dead. And, and you know, we, we get more of her, you know, her plan to take over New Gotham City. And she's going to have an army of baby assassins, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, all right. I, I, you know, 10 extra points for creativity in this plan. Yes. But the, uh, the actual, I mean, like, I, I'm just thinking for one. Creating a you know baby like this, it's got to be kind of pricey for one. And secondly, I mean, you got to like have this really planned out because you know you're gonna get one shot to use these kids, and right. But and thirdly, WTF? Like the whole thing, like the neural network and everything. Like what? Like what? Like I, yeah. Well, you know, even that, uh, you, you know, you, you look at what they're doing in Continuum, and, and, and obviously they, they spend a lot more time, I guess, you know, or they did at one point with, this, with the science stuff. Here it's just the, the mesh neural network has been implanted in the brain. Okay, that's it. All right, good. Can, okay. can you take it out? No. Um, but this is not what we call hard science fiction. Right. right. And, and, and they even say, Barbara says that he's met a human. And, you know, to a certain extent, it, it, it kind of reminds us of Dollhouse in the sense that after he comes to, uh, you know, to the aid of Helena and she says, how'd you learn to do all that? You know, where did you learn to fight? And he says, I don't know. And, and obviously we right. do know that it was just programmed in. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly what it made me think about Dollhouse where he was just like, you know, just intrinsically knew all this stuff. So Yeah. yeah. And, and the other curious thing is how did he know – about what a birthday is, that sort of thing, you know, because that was one of the first things that he asks about. Yeah, yeah, true. And while we're on the subject of the birthday, why did they wait till, like, the end before they brought him a a cupcake? You know, like, I'm thinking, like, when he's a little kid and he says, when am I going to get a birthday? And they know he's only going to live for three days. At that point, she said, hey, let's do it now. 
Yeah. Let's have a birthday now because you're going to be dead tomorrow. So let's do the birthday. Right. Don't wait till he's the old man. He didn't even get to eat his cupcake for crying out loud. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's it, tonight. It was less about Barbara Gordon's character, and I think more. I mean, certainly more about Huntress, and it does seem as if she's become the central character of the show. But certainly, Dinah was a big part of it, and, and you know, Rachel Scarston. You know, I want to say she plays a teenager really well, but of course, she. She is a teenager. She is a teenager so. in the in the show. Done. Right. Easy. But, you know, one of the first things her character, it's like, oh, I'm the, I'm the best babysitter in my town. Here, I'll take care of uh, the baby. And then, of course, uh, that doesn't work out. And, and you know, I, ironically that it's Huntress yeah. that... She turned out to be like a real crap babysitter, actually. Uh, yes, she did. <laughs> yes. You know, but but like you said about the birthday, and then, again, on the one, uh, one hand, it was kind of heartbreaking that... They get the cupcake with the candle, and he doesn't, you know, and you're waiting for him to blow it out, and then he doesn't get a chance to blow it out. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really sad scene. Yeah. That was. Um, you know, the other aspect, I mean, besides the storyline with the genetically engineered babies that are going to be Dr. Q's assassins, it, it, it's like we've been saying, the three superheroes trying to take care of a baby, and, and we're back to that whole trying to have some semblance of normality I love the scene with Reese, who sneaks up on Huntress for once while she's right. cutting out the biochip from the dead mother. Uh, you know, I'm not surprised that you're in the morgue. I'm not surprised that you're cutting open a dead body. But what about these? And he holds yeah, up the, the big bag of diapers. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then, you know, and then, you know, uh, are you angling to get my number? You know, well, would it work? And you know, again, I, I love the little the little play between the two of them. That that uh, you know, again, we don't know yet whether we're going to see anything come of these two and and they their burgeoning relationship. But uh, you know, I really like the way and the two have awesome chemistry. I think. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think you know, I, I mean, if we're going to make that prediction that there will be a relationship forming, uh, no question about it. Yeah, and I think it'll probably happen. Well, I mean, happened, period. <laughs> before the end of the season, but before the end of the show, yeah, I think that they intended for that relationship to happen sometime in in this season. So we'll see. Yeah. Now, the other thing that's uh, – I think they have to be careful. And, again, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out during the rest of the, the series. But, the you know, this whole – we're we're different from everybody and you know like tonight's character he's i'm different and you don't understand and he's like dude we don't understand you know come on uh, and and that you know that whole speech that she gives him uh you know about you know when they're on the swing set and can, you got to control your powers or otherwise you'll be just like the bad guys well i don't know it's just struck me as a little contrived and a little cheesy but yeah, and hypocritical. And hypocritical, although she tries not to kill anybody. And, and, and again, that's one right. of the fun things of the show. Everybody just gets their ass kicked. Uh, right. But, you know, you knew they were just setting up because at that point we already knew that Dr. Quinzel had this remote control that will turn him into a killer. And so, you know, Helena telling him that he's got to learn to control his inner rage and you know, and and be true to his himself. We know, well, we know that that's he's going to have to do that later on, right? And we know that's what Helen has had to do. I mean, that we assume that's why she's had to see the court appointed psychiatrist, 
right you know, to uh, deal with her rage issues and and in fact she says this is going to send me right back to my shrink <laughs> and of course it does yes um it does and unfortunately her shrink is is not the best person to go and confide in but she doesn't know that right and and i just as soon as she said that we cut to dr q and she's interviewing mercenaries to get her boy back yeah that's i mean she's she's a very funny character you know like she's you know like very bad evil and nasty but hilarious to boot like mia sarah does like a great job as dr quinzel there yeah well the other you know i like the age dynamic in the show i mean you, we listen we've got the obligatory blonde brunette and redhead uh on with the good guys and you know in terms of the age dynamic we've got the teenager the 25 year old and then the mother figure who's i guess probably supposed to be in her mid early to mid 30s and 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 that and and Barbara kind of parallels Doctor Q in terms of age. You know, it's sort of like the two of them squaring off against each other. Yeah, which is like we see it at the end. Um, the they each realize the other exists. You know, like the the birds of prey realize that there's a big baddie out there who's trying to pull some stuff on them, and then Doctor Quinzel realizes that there's someone else out there that's thwarting her all the time, but they, they don't know who, who, who each other is. Right. Right. She still doesn't know who Helena's true identity is. Right. Right. And that's the ironic part is that, you know, Helena and Dr. Quinzel know each other very well. Yeah. But neither suspected that the other is the person that they're searching for. Yeah. Now we mentioned Reese and we don't see him a whole lot, but uh, she goes to him for help in finding Guy you know, which, uh, you know, I found interesting. And then uh, as she returns to the swing set, Reese shows up, tells her he's sorry about everything, and then, you know, he puts his hand on her shoulder. And I was half expecting her to knock it off. But, uh, you know, I think this whole thing with Guy really hit her hard. And, and I guess then the question that occurs to me is, why is it hitting her so hard? You know, I mean, does she want to be a mom? Does she, I mean, look, she wants to find a boyfriend. I mean, she's said as much and you can understand it. She's 25. Yeah. I, I think it's not necessarily that she feels the, the call to be a mother. It's just that she, we've said before, I mean, she is an altruistic giving type person, you know, and, but she's also someone who kind of like, has trust issues and so doesn't really give herself over very quickly to other people. But the baby, you, there's no trust issue with a baby. You just give yourself to it wholeheartedly right away. And um, and she does that and she still gets hurt. Right. You know? Right. Um, you know, the final scene, again, you know, and we talked about emotional scenes early on. The, the three women standing together, Helen is holding the still burning candle you know, in the cupcake and she's the one that blows it out. Significant that it was her. I mean, I think in a sense, this was all about her. I mean, uh, you know, does Barbara want to be a mom? I mean, I think she feels like she already is a mom. Yeah. No question about that. And, and and clearly Dinah's 16. So that's not something she's thinking about. She's thinking, you know, we saw her doing her homework at the kitchen table. And actually that was interesting because she asked Helena 
if there was anything she could do to help. And I forget her uh, Helena's exact words, but it was basically you do whatever you can, which progress, right? Because in the past she would have told her, no, stay she out said, of no, this. No, yeah, just yes, yeah, just stay out of my way. Don't make a fuss. Yeah. But yeah. No, oh, yeah, the, the, no doubt. I did notice that the her increased responsibility here, especially when they you know trust her to kind of watch over a guy. That was not a great call, actually. Yeah. Um, so I don't know anything else uh, that I'm forgetting from the from the show. You know, the other thing I did notice these these episodes are are relatively short compared to what we're seeing today. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I think even we said last week was under 40 minutes, and I noticed today was just barely over over 40. So I'm not sure what was all. Maybe the uh, WB was selling tons of advertising back then. Yeah, apparently. Um, and, and there are things that happen, like, for example, I'm wondering if New Gotham, if any of the bars card people at all. Clearly not. <laughs> because Guy just, you know, you know, they do say later, oh, he's at an underage club. But still, you know, yeah. he he doesn't look like he should be at a club. And then how does Dinah find him? Right. 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 And then my second question is, is this city actually just like one city block big? Because she finds him right away. At the end, Helen is on the swing set and Reese just comes up and is like, hey, hey, it just happened to be swinging by this empty park. And here you are. Like, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I hear you. Oh, the, the the other thing that I forgot, you know, there were a few good lines. We vanquish the forces of evil every night. How hard can it be to take care of one small baby? But the one I liked, and I, I didn't get right. it worked. Well, then for- the fight is like the punchline of that is like they, you know, the elevator opens up and the baby's crying and they're already like in chaos. Right, like- right, right. Um, but Dr. Quinzel talking about wanting to get married to Joker, you know, my green eyes, his green hair. Yeah, we'd have had like beautiful line. babies. What would she call him, Jay or? Uh, oh yeah, 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 right, 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 Jay. So I, I also had a question. Okay. okay, so you remember Kerry Collins, right? He was a quarterback at Penn State. Okay, and the New York Giants, among other teams, Carolina Panthers. Okay. Oh, he played for the Giants. Okay, because when they are at the club after a guy like tears up the club, uh, Dinah shows up. Helena's there. Well, Diana, actually, Diana was already there. Helena shows up, and they're talking. And then in the background is a guy with a Jersey Collins number twelve. Oh. and I was like, "Is that Kerry?" I'm like, "So, you know, obviously they must have. Did they film this in New York? I guess I don't know. I just thought it was funny because that was his number, right? Was he? He was number twelve. I, I think? think so. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. Uh, let me see. I do a couple other things to make fun of here, like. <laughs> No, okay, so I, I know it sounds like I'm just ripping. I really did like this show, but there's just like a lot of, especially like, I, I guess you're right, because it's like the cartoonish type violence and fighting, right? Which it's, is okay. I mean, which exactly, it's absolutely okay. And I loved it because like that last fight, you know, Guy and Helena are like kicking the piss out of this one guy, right? Like the last guy standing and they're just wailing on him. And then Helena like jumps up, and like lands with her like like legs on top of his shoulders and they're crash right in his face and then she like twists around and then he goes down and I'm like, what was that? 
That was the craziest move I've ever seen, as long as with the, you know, like the sexual innuendo there and everything right, with right. it. Right, but don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I like this episode. I just think of the four, it was the weakest. That's all. Yeah. I still definitely yeah. enjoyed it. And and, and like and I don't I'm not changing my opinion. This is a fun show and, and I look forward yeah. to episode five. And and there also is the kind of uh the, the, the fringish type philosophy that love is more powerful than anything else because you know at the end when the assassin is reporting back to Dr. Quinzel and you know she's like what could be more powerful than neural mesh and he's like well they looked like they were friends yeah you know? and I, I I think I I like I like when shows go with that that you know no matter how big and strong and powerful or whatever you are that love kind of wins out over all that stuff. Love is more powerful than any of that. I kind of dig that. Yeah. Um, I got a box of Kleenex around here somewhere. Well, it is a nice thought, Dave. All right. So it's a sentimental thought, maybe, but it's a nice one nonetheless. All right. Well, why don't we uh, exit on that tear jerking thought? Okay. We can. You can drop us a line at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com or check out the website, fatalist.podbean.com where you can leave us a voicemail. Just click on the green tab somewhere on the page and record a speak pipe message for us. And you can check in on Twitter. We'll try to keep you posted on what we're doing and continue to access us through iTunes. And like we said last week, you can also uh, subscribe through Stitcher. So until next time, when we will take a look at episode five of Birds of Prey. Dave, I don't get paid enough for this. <laughs>